How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 29. No, episode 30. What? Is yeah. Episode... Blue Jay was 29. What? Did I just get the episode wrong? Um, I think you did. That's this so is, crazy. This is episode 30 right now. We're having a, th- a 30 episode crisis. <laughs> I feel I like I can't you... move on 30 of these, Jake. It's a little insane. I was thinking about it yesterday. I was, I was, I like to go through the the list of episodes on on Spotify, just mm. kind of like to you know bask in its glory, you know. And I'm like, I'm looking at the dates. I'm like, we started in January. It's now August. That's like, crazy. We've been on this for a while. Because that's the thing you don't think about it when you listen to podcasts. No. But it's like it takes a year to produce 52 episodes. That's crazy. Which, yeah, sounds crazy when you. But it's like, well, it makes sense. Yeah. No. Um. <laughs> but, I can't believe yeah. I messed that up. It's crazy. Well. Welcome to episode 30. Yeah. You know, 30. you know what it is? It's because I know what we're going to be talking about next week on the show. Uh, and I guess I just thought that was episode 30, but that's okay. clearly not. But, but wouldn't, w- that, wouldn't you mean you jump ahead? So if you know what's coming next week, you will accidentally say next week's episode number. True. I don't know what's going on. It's yeah. been... Should I ask you how you've been this week? <laughs> you, you definitely can. Um, Found no. your wallet. <laughs> yeah, we had a whole episode with my wallet. I've, I seem to be misplacing stuff a lot recently. I have yeah. no clue why. Um, really warm today, and uh, very warm, eh? Yeah, it w- felt like summer again. I was like, oh god, I hate summer. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hot here. <laughs> Starting to feel like it's summer. No, it's been good. Uh, I've been watching more TV shows. A couple mm. of uh, trailers have come out that are quite interesting, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point during the show. Oh, I think I'm uh, blanking. We'll get to them. Yeah, and um, remind you know, me. I've, <laughs> Just been kind of keeping my head down, doing uh, doing some low-key production work, which we oh, might yeah. talk about later in the show also. Yeah, no. Uh, and yeah, just watching movies and uh, taking names. Taking names. What about you? What's the, what's the actual saying? So taking names. No, kicking... Kicking take, ass and ta- taking names, go. yeah. Yeah. Is it sad that I remember that for Watching there? movies and taking names. Uh, a... <laughs> um, no, I've been, I've been all right, Zeke. I haven't watched a lot lately. It's funny because, like, I was talking about last week how I just watched, like, a behemoth films over the weekend. Mm. Um, and while on the brink of fixing my computer, it's still not fixed. But it's actually funny because I mentioned that, and I mentioned to you just before, uh, all the films I watched last week, I actually missed one. There was actually really? another one that I forgot to mention last week. Just completely... That's what happens when you have a behemoth of films. I know, exactly. It just literally elapsed my brain. So I might as well talk about that a bit, because I haven't really watched a lot else okay. this week. Um, I actually, I watched Inglorious Bastards for the first time ever, but I feel like... I imagine given the uh, director's corner, exactly. which we'll be talking about later in the show... Yeah, I think I'll get into uh, that. We both probably later. went back and kind of revisited some of the other Tarantino works with, mm. of course... We all know what's coming next week on the show, just after our director's corner. But we'll also oh, talk about exciting. that later in the show. But yeah, um, no, Inglourious. but you're right, exactly right. I'm going to talk about the Great Hack, which mm-hmm. is a documentary on Netflix. So that's what I watched last week, and I just completely forgot. And because my computer's still stuffed, I don't have any of my notes. Okay. So I'm going to have to use the good old noggin, you know, for the memory. Um, it's Jake touching his noggin. Yeah, <laughs> just patting myself on the head. <laughs> There's a beanie in the way. Um, no, okay, so The Great Hack, for those of you, uh, for the uninitiated, if you will, it's a doco on Netflix, um, and it kind of, it centers around a whole collection of things, but mostly data collection through social media, mm-hmm. and it's quite a broad topic, and kind of gets into that, um, with, uh, a lot of the stuff with, I think it's Cambridge Analytica, and their involvement with the Trump campaign, or the election campaign for Trump back in 2016, um, same goes for the, remember the very famous, uh, Facebook, it wasn't, it wasn't a hack, but it was like kind of a leak of Facebook yeah. distributing information, Mark Zuckerberg had to kind of stand in front of, was it Congress? 
I think it was. It was. It was some. It was some sort of committee. You're right. Um, and it was a very big deal. It was like two days of him just talking nonstop, answering, um, a lot of very uh, silly questions in a lot of ways. Mm. But um, the Docker goes into that, and um, a lot of I'm really blanking on the names. I do apologize. I did write all these down, but of course I don't have my notes on me. Um, of just people who were kind of involved in uh, researching this kind of thing and seeing just how dangerous, I guess, social media is in terms of the information you input yourself in, I guess, Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, as well as just what these algorithms sort of predict. Because it's true, your information is going to be sold. And it is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I was watching this and I wasn't really scared by it. And it's just That's this... That's fair. Yeah. I feel like we've gotten to the point... Uh, I, I had a really big conversation over um, uh, a couple of coffees down. Okay, uh, a couple of coffees with Zeke. <laughs> yeah, and with a couple of uh, other people. And we were having this full-blown conversation on internet privacy. And mm. there's a show currently playing on Netflix, which sort of plays off, uh, uh, which I'll, uh, not Netflix, uh, SBS, Beck and Okay, Pun. yep. Um, it's an Australian uh, miniseries that touches into the whole... Uh, privacy that comes with like online dating apps Uh, and um it follows a bunch of young teenagers and a couple of them post uh you know uh nude photos inappropriate photos Mm. and it's kind of the fallout from this because these new photos become public and it follows uh the cultural impacts because one of them's from a uh, Indian and a traditional Indian family okay and sort of the fallout that she has so what's the what's the miniseries called I can't quite remember it I've been watching it like Passively, okay. Um, I'll be getting the name. I'll get the name up as we. But it does okay, tap yep. into uh, sort of this great hack esque privacy conversation, um, and it follows like various students um, and their involvement with this sort of quote unquote scandal, yep. as well as a couple of teachers that discover this stuff too, and are like trying to hunt down who actually caused it. And it's it's I think it's like a five four or five part miniseries. So SBS does a couple of these a year. Yeah. Where they do these Australian sort of like um, miniseries, which are quite awesome. I remember watching one a few years back that I really enjoyed too. Um, and this one's quite good too. It's good to see like Australian content too. But in tying to uh, Great Hack. Yeah. Um, I'm having but, trouble finding this. Well, uh, I'm trying to do a little bit of research myself. No, it's cool. <laughs> um, uh, is it a recent one? Is it like 2019? Yes. Okay. It's currently airing on, on SBS. Um, there's, sure something, there's something called Australia in Colour, but oh, I, I doubt I that's doubt it. I doubt that's it. Um, <laughs> no, in regards to Great Hack, um, I think this privacy debate needs... The reason it wouldn't scare you, I think, is that we've almost gotten to the point as people where we've sort of accepted yeah, a lot of this exactly. information's yeah. public. Um there is no privacy in the world. And, I mean, especially in our line of work, there's a good chance that if you find any monochrome of success, particularly in the film and entertainment industry mm. or a political industry or basically any sort of uh, corporate-based industry where, um, you know, your position is quite public, there's always going to be people trying to dig up dirt or trying to find information. And if a government has that information, then you can't really do too much about it because it takes... I mean, if, it, before, if it's not the government, it's things like paparazzi and media mm. who are always looking to uncover dirt because, as we discovered 20 years ago, people don't always want to hear what's real. They want to hear what's speculatory and what's good for ratings and good for intrigue mm. above everything else. I mean, there's definitely still a culture of that online as well. I think it's interesting what you say because you're right. Once the government has this kind of stuff... 
what more can we possibly do other than first acknowledge or understand what's actually happening and then number two revolt but it's like i don't think anyone cares enough to revolt for this kind of thing and mm. because you look what happened with snowden and yeah it was it was a big deal and i i believe he's still not allowed back in the u.s i believe he's still kind of like a target almost but at the same time i just i mean i remember personally hearing about them i was just like oh yeah like it didn't surprise me you know and it is kind of sad these days because again going back to the doco this is the kind of doco it should have scared the crap out of me and it just didn't i liked yeah i mean it's called the hunting by the way the hunting okay um which i, I knew it had like a hunting ground i know there's a documentary called the hunting grounds which deals uh, with okay uh the um or the university predatorial yeah. sort of stuff that happens but it's called the hunting um, Very nice. You found it. I did find it. I went <laughs> went looking. I knew it was called hunt. Like I didn't want to say hunting ground to get the wrong title. Yeah, I wanted yeah, to get yeah. the right title. So they're really hunting good. on CBS, SBS, SBS. Okay, um, maybe that's the, why I can find it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so the reason uh, that I like this is one, it's Australian, mm. which um, for our own industry is great. SBS is really good at kind of getting. Uh, they do get a lot of funding for these mini series and these are. Uh, shows because they try and get them off the ground and and i know sbs and abc have both been relatively pretty good at trying to get these things i remember a show that came out a while back that was quite good i can't quite remember what it was called a lot of these things i just i can't remember there on the tip of your tongue almost always but this this one is definitely um i think a a good watch and people should find a way to watch i'm not sure how you'd watch it because it's obviously right okay, uh, maybe okay. sbs i don't know if they sh- you can stream episodes with them but uh, so yeah, um, no clue but it's 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 a good series that taps on more the uh the teenage uh st- side which is more yeah. prevalent and re- relevant to us that's a good point because you're right the great hack doesn't actually go into tinder and dating t- i mean it does mm. a little bit but not to the extent that it sounds like the hunting does yeah it comes back to like uh like those conversations on like uh, yeah every now and again like who does have all of this information where does all mm. this information go how much does Snapchat and Facebook and Instagram and Tinder they all keep uh, you know profiles and information where does this information go some of it I mean Facebook sells a lot of theirs to marketing and stuff mm. like that you know well uh, I spend the Zocker spends a lot of time on the on again the um um Cambridge Analytica's involvement with the uh, Trump election mm-hmm. campaign back in there because you're right. All this information is sold, and then there's algorithms used to target. Just, it's that kind of shit is very scary. Well, I mean, and it's it is interesting because it's like it's like looking at two sides of the same coin. Because you could take a documentary like uh, one I watched this week. I rewatched mm. it. Beg my pardon. I okay. watched uh, Fire for the second time. Oh, Fire, so um, good. And Fire takes that angle of social media that mm. leads to the amount of notoriety that comes with that festival and yep. how you know how it started with that orange movement of the Instagram orange filter yeah. that went around and it's like sort of that different side of the coin where it's like they were using social media to boost how you know popular this festival was yeah, supposed exactly. to be it was like different tactics but you're right it's the same thing it's grabbing people well, exactly it's grabbing people it's taking their information and it's and for them uh, they it was to a lot of people's monetary downfall in that situation but yeah I mean, it's it's interesting. I feel like like things like the Great Hat go. Oh, look, privacy. It's mm. it's it's at risk, and it's like I feel like at this point we've already given up on privacy. You yeah. know what I mean? Which like, is a shame. 
when you accept the terms and conditions of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you've just given that privacy up. You don't have yeah. it anymore. Um, I actually, I saw a funny meme the other day. I was talking about how, you know that new face app thing that's going around lately and like mm-hmm. ages your face and stuff. Um, there was a lot of stuff going around about how um, there's a lot of information you're giving by using that. To or like, like a Russian sort of thing. I or... guess, yeah, or like facial recognition or it was something along those lines. But I saw a funny meme where it was like, oh, look out. Um, if you download this app, you've given your facial information to the government. And then someone responds and they're like, oh, I have some bad news if you have a driver's license <laughs> or something like that. Driver's license, I would, passport. It's I thought like, it was quite funny. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, we don't. You're not in a private world anymore, right? You go yeah. out into the middle of the desert or, you know, up in the mountains, mm. in the forest, and you don't, you've never owned a phone, you've never owned social media, and you just build yourself a log cabin. Maybe, maybe you've got an, ele- you know, an <laughs> element of privacy. But I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. It does. Just live but, away from everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, that's the thing, though. How many people really get that nowadays? Yeah, it's exactly. so public. It comes back to every part of our culture. And things like Great Hack and um, the American meme, they're, they're all different elements of mm. how culture works nowadays. I love it's that. All... The American meme. Well, that's I mean, a great title. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. I don't even know what it is. I think, I've talked, I, think I talked about it very early on in this podcast. Like okay. maybe episode one or something. I think I watched it. It might have maybe been a bit. It was very early on. It didn't. I think I mentioned it in passing, but it's basically about how our culture shifted. Um, it started with like Paris Hilton and mm. how she sort of started using the internet to kind of self-market, self-promote, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it evolves into all of these different people that do the, some of the most horrible things to themselves just to get those likes, to get those you know tweets and what have you, and to make a fortune off it, but. Mm the same time they know they lose themselves in it and it sort of goes back to well this is the cultural standpoint we're at you know thing like vine which came and went and there were people that were I'm sad that vine's gone by the way yeah but it, I had some great vines and I can't even find them anymore yeah you know, with with that shifting <laughs> culture on how we interact as humans through phones and technology and stuff like that to what do we compromise privacy you know um, we're giving our information to other it's all mm. One umbrella. It's all relative. It's just yeah. what point of humanity do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the stuff that's going on behind the curtain or what we see on the surface? Yeah. You know? And, and uh, it doesn't matter whether you open the curtain or not. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. We're, like. we're all in this now. Um, uh, do I recommend the doco? Yes and no. I, was, I wasn't bored by it, but I was like... I, I mean, it goes back to the point. I forgot I even watched it mm. when I was on the show last week. It feels so, like you... There you go. It's sounding like all this doco did was reiterate probably what you already knew. Yeah, exactly. And or, it's one of those things. The only interesting thing I got out of it is the fact that when you watch a doco like that, when you watch something like Fire or The Great mm-hmm. Hack, um, as opposed to something like Tower, which we both watched earlier mm-hmm. this year, that's an event that neither of us were alive or could even comprehend yeah. in that way. Um, while stuff like this, because it's so recent, it's like, I remember watching that Mark Zuckerberg, like, trial i suppose mm. is lack of a better word um you know like i remember these kind of events happening so it's a little you get a, it's a bit more tangible in that way yeah. you feel a bit more involved but at the end of the day it didn't scare me and that's not a good thing i i i guess uh, i think i didn't really know about fire which is why i enjoy i the good thing i enjoy mm. about a doco so the reason why i think tower is probably still probably holding strong is probably the best film I've watched this year. Wow, yeah. It's a, it's a real tight race at the top there. I think there's like four films that are all pretty much uh, synonymous with my favourite film I've watched this year. Yeah. The first, I think, Into the Wild, Tower, 
blind spotting and probably Nebraska there. Yeah, they'd be the top four. Fair enough, yeah. Um, and I like looking back on, like looking at Tower. The reason why Tower is so interesting is it builds suspense. It's the reason mm. why I like tickled too. Yeah, as well. Um, like these... you're right because we have no idea what the yeah, hell this is. Exactly, and I think yeah. I enjoy those ones more than the ones that are more. And I didn't really know about the fire stuff, so I enjoyed it. But I'm aware that people knew about fire, like the fire fest stuff. Yeah, I just didn't. Um, I agree because I didn't know it in that way. There yeah. were like certain pinpoints of like, oh, I do recall this, but you're right. The general event, I was like, what the hell mm. is this? I've never it's, heard of this. It's before. the same thing with American meme. Why I probably didn't enjoy it as much as those other ones, simply because mm. I'm like, I've watched many different versions of this doco before. Yeah. Like I get it. Like I get this is the world we live in, and it, and there are different angles. But like I said, they all kind of fall under the same banner. Umbrella, yeah. It's like. We've lost our privacy. We're losing our humanity. Like, it's... it's. I get it. I get it. All right? <laughs> We're terrible. It's, none of this is re- revel- revelatory to me. Yeah. Like, whereas something like... Tower took an event that it could have just shown archival footage the whole time. and But they did something stylistically to keep which, it interesting. I don't, Not just make it interesting. Just take it to a whole new level. Right, you okay. felt so immersed in that story because the way they told it was like they took out the piece to camera element and they gave you a tangible story to watch in the yeah. form of an animation and a very beautiful looking animation too. Oh yeah. It's gorgeous um, to look at. Which I loved. And Tickle did the thing where it was like, it started off hooking you by something so stupid as competitive You're tickling. The, e- the email response yeah. almost. Well, and it's like, just the hook, just like yeah. Googling what competitive tickling was. And you're like, <laughs> Where is this doco taking it? And yeah. it just takes you down a rabbit hole. And it's why you're so immersed in that one. And it's sort of the same thing with, like, uh, the Morgan Spurlock kind of docos. Yeah. Oh, that's it. He's doing the, the Super, sequel. Yeah, Super Size Me 2. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, And the way he does them. Because the two that he I've watched from him are Super Size Me and Greatest Movie Ever Sold. And both, oh, okay. uh, that one's got a pretty good. I would encourage you to watch that. I I've seen, it I've seen. Sim- he did a Simpsons doc on the 20th anniversary. Really? Yeah, it's pretty like you know. Hey, hey, Simpsons is cool and everyone loves it, but it's still fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, it's pretty cool because he basically he's talking about how advertising kind of is huge now, capitalistic mm. advertising, and he basically funds an entire documentary solely off advertising. Okay, which. Perfect. I reckon that's so that's perfect. what the doco is actually about. So it, it goes, and like he'll be like telling us like, "Oh, advertising's bad," and then follow it up with, "But this was sponsored by." Oh. <laughs> it's really good. That's cause, genius because it works that perfect line of of comedy, intrigue, and intelligence, yeah. which satire he, really. Yeah, and yeah. he and he did that really well with Supersize Me with the whole idea of I'm going to eat McDonald's for an entire month, yeah, and then I want to watch it again. Proceeded to. Uh, you know, interview people that like mm. one guy that got a Big Mac every day of his life and yeah. has eaten like 7,000 Big Macs. It's like... That's just insane yeah. to me. So uh, I think it's really cool to th- like to think about, but... Um, yeah, well, we should do a Morgan Spurlock as one of our directorial we probably director's should. corners, actually. It's a good I idea. would love to see what his directorial debut It's a good was. idea, Jake. Uh, it was a great <laughs> idea, Jake. Were you looking for validation? Was that it? No, no, no. I just thought okay. I'd be an arsehole for two seconds. Um, <laughs> so I also managed to catch um, on leading more into where we'll be going later in the show. Um, okay. As you hinted with your film that you watched this week. Yeah. I watched uh, Hateful Eight. 
again oh, okay. in preparation. I say once upon a time in Hollywood, but what? Plot <laughs> uh, <bot> twist. <laughs> um, no, no, I watched Hateful Eight again because uh, obviously given our poll, which will mm. we thank you very much for everyone who participated Absolutely, in our poll. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I chose not to watch Reservoir Dogs this week as much as I was this close to watching it. You really wanted to. <laughs> um, I went, no, nah, I'm going to watch Hateful Eight. Nice. Um, and uh, I think you talked about this last week on the show, if I recall. Yes, yeah, last week. I watched it for um, the first time. So, so I'm yeah. not going to dwell on it too long. Mm. Um, second time I've watched it was third time. And um, yeah, still enjoyed it. Love love that one because I love films that um, can keep your attention while only being in pretty much one location. Yeah, absolutely. Um Two locations, really, if you count the carriage. Yeah, which I reckon you should, because it's still a good ten minutes of the film. It's a it's a big chunk of the film. I mean, the film's like nearly three hours long. So yeah, so you're right. Like eighty percent of it's in a. But then it's two locations, and it's two bottle locations too. Mm. When you think about it, there's no in or out in the carriage. Yeah, basically, apart from I think they pull over once. Yeah, I think the opening scene. Oh, there's a couple. You're right. There's a couple scenes where they pick people up. Yeah, that would have been like exterior, but that didn't necessarily have to be that far away from the cabin. No, it was all, so, it was yeah. all, it was all in there, and it, it does really hold up, and it's a really clever script, and um, to keep your, I think that film does keep your attention for, th- for nearly three hours. I do it, agree. Uh, I ne- I never like check my watch or anything like that for it. Yeah, it's. I think, um, and I'm sure we'll touch on why Tarantino seems to have such a. Mm. Longevity and is such a synonymous, a on his synonymous filmmaker within younger generations, particularly, mm. um, and then probably more infamous with the older ones. Um, <laughs> but the Jack Thompsons of the world, yeah. Um, but honestly, I really enjoyed the film. But uh, what else did you catch this week, Jake? Uh, I mean, it's pretty much. I mean, I could talk about Inglorious Bastards a bit. You could. Um, I mean, yeah, it was the first time I've ever seen it. How many I... times have you seen that opening scene? <laughs> Many, many, many times. Yeah. Though, yeah. I feel like um, it's fantastic, though that opening. Scene. When it comes to film school, I feel like the most synonymous. Uh, hey, this is how you write. I feel like I, we've watched the opening scene to Inglorious Bastards for different reasons. Many, many times. I think I might have seen it in in the years that we've been here at at our university. Um, I honestly think I've watched that scene at least five or six times. Yeah, no. Um, and all. all for different reasons. Sometimes <laughs> character, sometimes story. Sometimes camera. Sometimes camera. It's been... It, <laughs> wow. I think we might have watched it like three times this year. It's just insane. off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, just this year, uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, You're right, yeah. And I almost feel like I could like recite... Would be, it would be fun to see how much of that I could recite off the top of my That's head. That's actually a good point. That film, I applaud that film so much for just... There's so little English... During the runtime of the film, there's mm-hmm. actually a shockingly low amount of English spoken in this yeah. film. And I think Christoph Waltz speaks like four or five different languages in this film alone. He's pretty. He's pretty much. A he's gun in this oh my. Film. He might, he's actually one of my newest favorite actors ever. Mm. It's a shame. He's incredible. Uh, uh, I love him too. It's hard not to love him. But I think this film's strength is in once again those box scenes, those scenes where it feels like yeah. characters are stuck in a location. And there's no way of getting out without a conclusive ending. Either they die or or something big happens that yeah. breaks the mold, basically. And it's if you if you look at Inglorious Bastards, I reckon the parts of the film you really don't care for as much are the scenes that don't have really any stakes to them. Um See so scenes like um like Brad Pitt like fucking around with the Nazis, basically. Uh, stuff like that yeah. is what you're referring to? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so like uh, the uh, the introductory scene to Brad Pitt, yeah. I, you don't really care for, I don't think, that much. Okay, I love the camera work in it. I was, I was okay. into it. 
I'm I, I'm a bit. I agree I though. And my favorite scene is probably you're right, the one where they're they're underground in the bar, and they're they're pretending to be Nazis, and then oh, yeah. they kind of almost get like you're right. That's definitely the Fast scene you're Bender referring steals the to. Show eh? For the, oh, that twenty minutes. God, yeah, I forgot it was him. Yeah. And then the credits, it's like, <gasps> what? You forget yeah. that this guy's actually a really good actor. <laughs> and he makes he He's makes Assassin's actor. Creed almost stomachable. Oh really? I still almost seen it. stomachable. Okay, okay. It's still trash. How do you get roped into that? I don't know. Monet. Monet. In all seriousness, I, I, I stand by this. When that trailer came out, it looked good. It looked promising. Yeah, and then you know what happened? They came out and were like, "Oh, only thirty-five percent of the film takes place in." Like that time period, and everyone was like, "Nope, I'm out." You know, honestly, I, I've, I've, I watched that film when it came out in the theaters. I actually went and saw it in the theaters. Oh, you're crazy. I love Assassin's Creed. Did you go with anyone? I did. I think I went with. Okay. I, think I went with Oliver. Oh, um, cool, um, cool. So uh, did you go by yourself in the Assassin's no, no, Creed was outfit? Two or three of us. I cannot remember <laughs> who I went and saw it with. Um, and I walked out of there honestly not feeling too bad by it. Like it wasn't okay. great. I wasn't yeah. like. Oh my god, this thing's the best ever. But I, yeah. I walked out with kind of a me- a better feeling than I thought I would because it's a video game movie, and we all know how bad video yeah, game movies god. have been. Looks like a Max Payne. Um, yeah, exactly. tragedy, man. You remember Tomb Raider came out this year too, or last year? That was a few, that was yeah. a while ago. You're uh, right, like a year or two ago now. Still waiting. That literally, on that. was just a carbon copy of the 2013 game. Like yeah. even the shots in the trailer were just like, "Yep, they stole this." <laughs> um, but. I didn't remember walking out of it too bad. I think if I went back and watched it now, I'd probably be way more critical of it. Hmm. Um, yeah. I wonder why. I think he, he, <laughs> he does the best he can. I think that the film's kind of broken from the start. It, it, it's a very tough concept. I don't yeah. think... It would be interesting. It would be an interesting form of conversation to be like, what's one video game that would make into a good film? A conclusively good standalone film. I mean, they're trying to get that Uncharted movie up, and uh, they have. There's a good chance. I mean, you got Tom Holland playing Drake. Apparently, Brian Cranston slated to play Sully. Sully, I heard that somewhere. I would. That's so perfect. That's that. a perfect casting, I reckon. Yeah, no, nah, that would be get, great together. Get white hair. Yeah, be, be all good. <laughs> I think he's getting there. Brian he's probably, Cranston. He's probably getting there anyway. I think he's getting there with the hair. Um, no, back to Glorious Bastards. Though. <laughs> we can do side chat. Um, no, 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 no. It's all. It's all good. Um, it's I can't, all film related. Well, I like this episode. We haven't seen a lot lately, so I feel like mm. we've had a bit of a nice side tracks every now and then. Yeah. in This first half of the show. Um, no, I really enjoyed the film. I really respected a lot of what it does. I know you have issues with the third act. Yeah, I didn't. I but thought it was great. I'm, I'm going to talk about it more in the second half of the show. I think when we start okay. to get more into Tarantino's directorial style, just style. Yep, okay, cool. Yeah, um, and I'll touch on it with why um, my opinions of Pulp Fiction, which oh, is fair maybe our film. No, it is our film of the week. Yeah. <laughs> We've already um, confirmed. Yeah, it. I'm happy to move into careers. Have you got anything um, to add to your career? Yeah, no, I could just um, give another shout out for Disconnected coming out on DVD. We got the rating the other day, which was exciting. Comes class. out in uh, pretty much uh, this time next week. Yeah, what, Tuesday tomorrow, next week. Yeah, Tuesday next week. So probably by the time you're listening to this, it will be a week or less than a week mm-hmm. away. Um, pretty your copy at the clickerproduction.com slash store slash dis dash connect dis dash connected. There we go. There you go. I don't know. Or just go on our face, but it, it's there. It's around. But uh, no, they gave us an M rating because we dropped some naughty, naughty swear words in the commentary track. Wow. Uh, in this very not room, an, actually. Not, a, not an MA, though. Yeah, no, that's good. I was a little worried about that. And we actually did confirm, um, because of the way that the Australian Classification Board works, you can actually kind of see what else 
they've um, graded. And technically, we would have got a G on the film as a standalone. So, really? Yeah, because um, they ticked off themes and sex, which I thought was quite funny. But it was, like, the lowest level. Okay. So, it's like it still would have been G, but, like, G for, like, sexual references and themes. That's probably what it would have got. Um, and <laughs> Interesting. then because obviously we swore so much in the, the commentary, they upped it to an M and then it just says course language on the box. But, um, yeah, I've got them all. I finally, I mean, I showed you the photo. Yeah. Um, uh, the first 50 copies are just sitting on my desk, like fully packaged and everything. And it's like, this is kind of cool. It is pretty cool. Kind of freaked out a little, but no. yeah, that's coming out next week. You can pre-order it right now. A couple of, uh, new projects that we might be talking about later on. Uh, the two of us. Yeah. Yeah. In a couple of weeks, there's probably something more to talk about. Um, yeah. I'll probably have something maybe even by next week. We'll oh, find okay. out. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's like when you're working on stuff, it's like, when do we... When do we talk about it? When do we announce it? Um, we're definitely very close. Um, yeah, there'll definitely yeah. be something that happens this week that will lead to probably me announcing something next week on the show. Oh, so. I think I know it. Because you, you said yesterday or the day before we met up and you you had a teaser for me, but you yes. weren't sure if you wanted to say it. And I was like, no, 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 I'll wait. I can hold it. Um, so I have a feeling I'm kind of in the ballpark of what you're doing. Oh, okay. The well, fact that if you have something to announce next week, I feel like there might be... Something public somewhere. Yeah, there might be something coming up soon. We'll find out. Oh, look at that. Um, look at that. I'm very excited to for what is coming very soon to ZKJ. Um, oh. Let's just say I'm for now, uh, <laughs> this will be the first time ever something was co-written by Jack and myself, Whoa. who are both, both of us obviously are the ZKJ production oh, company man. um the i and of course original idea was by jack bet which so is story, the story story by jack story bet. by uh jack bet and then i came in and co-wrote the other half of it but nice essentially the big part here is this is jack's original idea which is the first time this has ever happened oh, which i'm very excited it's gonna be interesting because it's something i would have never written by myself probably <laughs> so here we are but uh, I am very excited. Sometimes the best things come from the strangest of places. Honestly, it's last couple of definitely one thing. I think by the end of this film, I can't wait until next year when it's like we get to uh, where we get the the field of dreams oh, and ideas are flowing. But this good. this film is definitely uh, the biggest one we've done yet. Ooh. So bit of a tease there. I like it. I but like until it. then, Jake, we're up for a director's corner. Yes, that's right. We're back on the director's corner every five episodes, whenever we can. One, two, three, four, five. Uh-huh. One, two, three, four, five. That's actually a, and what that's is... actually a quote in the film. <laughs> <laughs> what is a director? What is a director? Well, I believe it's someone who directs a feature <laughs> no, film. Who... Like like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and what's uh, the film uh, we're watching this week? Uh, we are watching Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield are hitmen with a Persian for philosophical discussions. In this ultra-hip, multi-strand crime movie, their storyline is interwoven with those of their boss, gangster Marcella Wallace, his actress wife Mia, struggling boxer Butch Coolidge, master fixer Winston Wolfe, and a nervous pair of arm robbers, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Pulp 
fiction. That took two attempts for me. <laughs> Can we note that Jake did that all in one attempt last week? Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And but I'm... you also got Butch's surname correctly. I did. Well... <laughs> I, I just jumped it. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Oh, <laughs> it's like, that's a... Come on, Tarantino, mate. Just a shorter synopsis. Just say it's a collection of events that coincide with one another. Well, I mean, I mean, the whole the, that that synopsis is kind of representative of the whole film itself, where it's just true, very bloated. But I'm really glad that's bloated. Look, Pulp Fiction. Okay, so Pulp Fiction is a classic. It might. I think it's actually the oldest film we've ever done in terms of our main head of films. Uh, Pretty sure it is because Bottle uh, Rocket. Well, is... do you count Other Side of the Wind? As a uh, which, which yeah, side? that's a good point. That's a good which point. side of the wind are you on? Yeah, but the other side. Which side? <laughs> of... Okay, excluding the other side of the wind, which did technically release in 2019. Ooh. to be fair, I'm just saying, putting information out there for it's audience. True. It's true. Um, Part no, of the film was made. This in is the definitely 1994. So this is mm-hmm. the second film that uh, Tarantino did. You guys, the audience, actually had a chance to vote between this and Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Uh, for doing this director's corner and very, very tight race, but Pulp yes. Fiction ultimately took the crown. Was, uh, 33, 31. Yeah, um, no, nah, that's insane. So. So close. Um, this film, yeah. for me, uh, I had seen once before, once or twice before. Yeah. Um, I think once, and then I got through it half time, like only halfway through the other time. But um, I don't know. I've always really enjoyed Reservoir Dogs more than this film. Uh, I can't really, I couldn't tell you why, but I, I think I know why. Mm. Um, I think I think I know why as well. Uh, it comes back to uh, one of the key points that we were talking about a little bit earlier in the show, but I want to get yep. into a bit more detail, and it kind of is sort of with Tarantino's story style. Okay. And for me, the strengths that I like about his style, and this is not for everyone, but this is for me. Mm. Um, I think he is one of the best people for writing dialogue. In, like, if it, you know, when it comes to writing dialogue and yep, writing yep, character yep. dialogue. Um and back and forth between one another. It's just very... It flows and it's very quotable. I think it's the main Absolutely. one. Absolutely. I think quotable is definitely the way I would uh, uh, call it. And um, I think I've always liked his bottle films more. And mm. I, it's a kind of a, a... Bottle, it's not an official term. It's kind of how I coin sort of... No, well, it's fairly accurate. He's talking Reservoir Dogs, The Hateful Late, those yeah. kind of films. Yeah, yeah. And each Tarantino film that I've watched, I have not watched either of the Kill Bills. Neither. Um, so I want to stand by that. Um, and I haven't watched Jackie Brown. Neither. Or... Death the, Proof. Death Proof. So... I'm, I think we're actually on the exact same wavelength. Yeah. So I think that's cool. Um yeah, means the uh, conversation's not going to be exclusive. Uh, I know Jack has watched all of them. Jack pretty loves sure. Kill Bill. Um, Kill Bill has never intrigued me um, at all. But Intrigued me as a kid, like seeing the cover art. Okay. Like I always love the cover, like going in the video store and seeing. I was always intrigued, but obviously, I'm sure it has an MA rating or something. Obviously, yeah. it was just out of reach, you know, as a mm-hmm. as a child. You know, there's a few films like that, but um, and well, I, I I can imagine those films, at least a majority of them, bar Death Proof, which I know is I think a documentary. Um, really, I think so. Don't quote me on that. Okay, um, I'll do a little research on that quickly. But uh, from the ones I have seen, which. What's this film coming out? This is number nine from him, right? Yep, yep, yep. So he counts it, it, Kill Bill as, as one. Yep. Um, so then I've watched five, technically, of the eligible nine that are... So that would include Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Django, 
uh, Hateful Eight and Inglorious Bastards. That's it. That's the ones I've watched. So we're Uh, on the same page right there. Yeah. Um, And that's obviously me saying Kill Bill 1 and 2 are two films, just by that that logic. But then technically, if we were going off the eight, then we've watched five of the eight, not including the Kill Bills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it gets a little confusing. And obviously, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for those who don't know, is not out yet here in Australia. Exactly. So we can't see that just yet. Yeah. But no, so that's an accurate representation, you're right, of our knowledge of Tarantino and from a filmography standpoint. From those five, from the film filmography, um, I have to say that the film, uh, the scenes that I enjoy the most and the scenes that I like, am fully invested with Tarantino are the ones where it is very much characters are confined to a space and have mm. to give dialogue. Now... People would argue that a lot of Pulp Fiction is a very strong case for this. There are mm. huge amount of times where characters are sitting, most of the time, just in one-on-one situations, like from the yeah. very intro, from the the uh, Tim Roth and uh, I'm not sure I can remember the other actress's name, but Honey Bunny and uh, man, what's it? What's I know. I just said it the second ago. Um, I should point out that um, it doesn't look like Death Proof is actually a documentary. It's actually a drama slasher. There we go. Apparently. Um, there you go but yeah like from the opening uh dialogue which is a very good hugely good hook it's probably one of the best one of your favorite opening scenes of all time yeah definitely um because it does pumpkin and honey bunny pumpkin and honey bunny played by tim roth and amanda Plummer. there you go go. um it's it is it's one of the best intros of all time it's better than the reservoir dog it definitely ages better than the reservoir dogs one hmm. although i okay. like the reservoir dogs one i was actually going to say i like the reservoir dogs one better i mean that's actually more of a canon of one of the best opening scenes even though they're actually very similar I mean, scenes in at, a lot of ways uh, but yeah. one thing that doesn't age well with that scene is kind of like the dolly stuff's a bit janky around the table oh cuz um, like they keep blocking each other's heads and stuff like that yeah it's just it's definitely something that obviously you probably refined and he actually kind of st- st- shies a little bit more away from in his future films a lot of dolly sort of round table stuff mm. he doesn't do that stuff as much in fact he actually keeps the camera quite still i mean if you think I'm about tripod stuff yeah well yeah if you think about that opening shot from a uh, cinematic point of view that opening scene um in pulp fiction very much is just shot versus shot with a master wide it's nothing there is one dolly they sneak in there like really it. oddly, it's um. I, I'm trying to remember the very specific part of the conversation, but he's. I think he's already started talking about the restaurant as like the restaurant's a good target. Mm-hmm. There's a weird dolly where it just starts dollying towards him, and it's like could be a rev- revelation, maybe. Yeah. In the scene. Um, it's interesting. I yeah. mean, in, like we were talking about earlier, the Inglorious Bastard opening scene is very good from a cinematic point of view because it's kind of subtle changes mm. um, of power in that scene, which I really like. Um, and it, 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 I always like I I never feel like Tarantino tries to do too much with the camera, like okay. as per to some directors that are synonymous with their cinematographers for doing kind of crazy risque stuff. Tarantino definitely relies more on his script, um, yeah, as the center point for driving the narrative rather than the camera. The camera is still accounted for and it is still a a thing you can talk about as a talking point, but I don't think what he does with it is far more subtle and. It works mm. just as well. So, yeah. Well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there with the fact that the dialogue is the main driving yeah. force in any sort. Because again, it comes back to as a director, because um, as a director, you really it, when it comes to actually physically shooting somebody, you really have two essential things. You need to direct the actors, and you need to position the camera. Yeah. And really, it's not hard to argue that most directors would have a preference, and I think it's very clear that 
um, their performance is terrible, especially because he has such uh, such a love for his own writing mm-hmm. and such a demand that you kind of have to get it nailed on the head, and that's something that is part of his style. You're right. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, his directorial style, I think I think the, there's uh, there's many other things that I take into consideration when it comes to that more than just the camera. Um, I mean, even the camera work. I like the his inserts are always interesting, yeah. especially in Pulp Fiction. There's always it's a lot of coverage. Coverage, 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 and then every mm. now and then just a random insert, and it feels like it feels like it's always the last thing he does at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, all right, what do we need inserts up? Because sometimes it's a, it's it's interesting choices. It's like there is fifty things you could have done inserts for in the scene, but you picked this one item, this one thing. Um, the an exa- a good example is when Bruce Willis is escaping from kind of that basement thing. There's an insert on the keys, Zed's keys that he just snatches. I think the only real insert in the thing. I think there's like a close up on the sword that he mm-hmm. grabs, um, but just a lot of stuff like that um, that I noticed. I think his choice of inserts, and again, this goes to um, Inglorious Bastards a lot as well. Has a lot of really interesting inserts, uh, but just also you're right, narrative structure very interesting, especially these first two films that he does are yeah. non chronological. His violence, of course, is a big one, and we can get into that. Mm-hmm. I think in a bit. Um, he always cameos in all of his films, whether they're voiceovers. I think in oh, in, in Glorious Bastards, he gets his head like sliced off. Yes, very subtle. I wouldn't have picked up on that if I didn't see it, like a video highlighting it. Um, and and overweight, he's, he's the a voiceover. Yeah, he's the narrator. Yeah, very yeah. clever. And I noticed that Sam Jackson is also an, a voiceover in um, in Glorious Bastards. I think, I think that was Sam Jackson. I'll have to. I can't confirm that one, but you're probably yeah, correct. Yeah, I think it. It sounded like him. I remember being like, "Oh, I think that's Sam Jackson." Um, and that's another staple. He always gets the same actors. For yeah, everything. Tim Roth is in most of his films. Sam Jackson's most of his films. Christoph Waltz in later ones. Yeah, is exactly. Definitely a, a more of a Uma Thurman, huge one, especially in this film. And I'll love to talk about mm. her in a minute as well. Um, I think just in terms of a director, he's just really cemented those styles yeah. in a really entertaining way. Why should he bring back more Steve Buscemi? Yeah, I know, right? I love his cameo in this. He's the like little waiter guy, and yeah. so like I remember I was because I I'm pointing this out the other way. First time I ever saw this film was last month in a theater, mm-hmm. and um, I re- I rewatched it on Blu-ray. Those green screenshots of the cast do not hold up on no. a Blu-ray. They look fine on the on the screen. I don't know if they played like an actual film projection or a hard drive. Or what they did in the was it in a loo? I went to in a loo, um, but they did not age well. Those in the, in the Blu-ray copies, yeah, you could totally shooting, see like the shooting light green in screen it. in cars is uh, can be challenging if it's not done correctly. Oh man, well we're gonna find out one day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I I think um, it's it's a shame that like people like Buscemi aren't in them more because uh, honestly, um, he's probably my favorite part in Reservoir Dogs. Um, oh, he's great in it. Yeah, Michael Madsen's quite a regular staple too mm. in a lot of these films too. Um. I mean, we can just dive into more of the plot sort of side of it and go on uh, through our story yeah, bits. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think narrative structure is so important in this film. Yeah. And, like, um, yeah. Good point. Non-chronological. Um, both his first two films were chronological. I know that, um, Reservoir Dogs was uh, successful, but it was more a, and like a kind of low-key success, whereas this one kind of blew his career out of proportion, Pulp Fiction. Right, was, yeah. Well, it definitely got the attention it needed, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, it um, was. I seem to remember reading an article a, a long time ago now. A couple, I think uh, the it ended up grossing. I think it was like one point four million or something, which was pretty like yeah, pretty good given it's definitely a a profit. Very, I imagine at yeah, that point. yeah, yeah, enough to give him I think the funding for this film, which ended up 
you know, kind of sparking his career. But, um, yeah, look, narrative structure, totally crucial. This film isn't chronological um, and is definitely a, a centre point for a lot of people to learn off. Mm. Um, I definitely think for a lot of uh, students or aspiring filmmakers, these films are really good because they're a more contemporary example of uh, non-linear storytelling. Mm. Um, if you ask a lot of uh you know, aspiring filmmakers or students or just general, even general populace, and you go, oh, what's an example of a non-linear film, a film that doesn't take place in order? Yeah. Um, most of them probably tell you Pulp Fiction off the top of their head just by the what, just because of how synonymous it is with everyone. Yeah. Well, um, I think you're right because it, it's not even just the fact that it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of films out there that are non-chronological, and I think Reservoir Dogs is even just an example mm-hmm. of that. Um, and there's this, there's this purpose because obviously it's a bit of a mystery as well. You're figuring out kind of who, who's mm-hmm. the rat, essentially. Um, by the way, just heads up that that budget was 1.2 uh, million, million and almost a billion, and the box office was 2.8 million. So yes. it made it got its money back and then some. So yeah, definitely I, enough to sink into like this the, next the, film. Uh, I'll I'll quickly check this. But, okay, um, shipping I, rolls here. <laughs> I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a guess to say Pulp Fiction's budget was like 2.4 million. But. Okay. Putting it out there for the world to hear. Yeah, just a guess. Well, what I was going to say is that the, the, with Pulp Fiction and its non-linearity, Jesus, uh, the interesting thing about well it is because... Well, it was 8.5 million. Wow. Do you have a um, box office return on that? Oh, let me... I know, I know the big thing about this film is that it won Oscar for Best Screenplay. Um, I think Forrest Gump won Best Picture that year, 95. 213 million. <laughs> well, nearly 214, 213.9. quite all right. Well, you can see where... Yeah, Weinstein was happy. <laughs> oh yeah, um, uh, he was a big. He's a big part in Tarantino's films. I think this. Um, once upon a time in Hollywood's the first one without without him involved. I think. Hmm. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you do that, I suppose. But it is. I think it's yeah. a back back to the films as a whole. Yeah, I definitely think uh, this film has got a, probably the most quotable lines mm. from a Tarantino film, and some of the most memorable scenes from Tarantino oh, films. Definitely. Um, well, what are some of the scenes in your head that you're thinking? We're not getting Travolta the highlights. Travolta dancing. This one, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Travolta dancing is one of the uh, funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually interesting. That scene's a great example. Um, I mentioned to you earlier, because we are we are studying uh, one of our final units we're doing is screen theories. Yeah. And I don't want to put this out there just to be like, hey, God, we learn our screen theories. <laughs> because this is generally something I was thinking about yeah. the first time I watched the film um, and how, from a postmodernism standpoint, how... I mean, it's Tarantino as a director. That's another thing we should mention. He very unashamedly just steals from everything. Yeah. And he doesn't even call it homage. Yeah, and he calls it stealing. Uh, and it's interesting. Yeah. He's such a polarizing figure, Tarantino. And I have watched his uh, BAFTA video. His like life, oh, in, okay. uh, life in pictures thing where BAFTA Academy bring in creators and yep. they kind of sit down and talk about what got them to where they are sitting in that chair, basically, mm. essentially. And he talks about working in, like, the adult theatres and and working as a projectionist for them yeah, and yeah. working in, like, B-movie um, theatres. And he's just... And he talks about stealing, yeah. um, which, of course, we as filmmakers are encouraged to homage but not <laughs> directly steal. Yeah. Um, whereas he sees it just as stealing. He kind of takes the faff off of you know, the filmmaker language, basically. Yeah. Um, and as it definitely has raised... He has become this figure of um, praise, I reckon, amongst a lot of younger filmmakers 
but a lot of traditionalists, generally older filmmakers, uh, tend to, it's more infamy. He's more synonymous with, well, he reckons he's a stealer, not a homager, so he's actually got no talent, which I think is a vastly incorrect yeah, statement. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, because going back to the point of like him stealing, there's a purpose for all of it, and there's a mixed match of what he's doing with all these mm-hmm. things. So one of the examples you bring up the scene of Travolta dancing, of course, with Uma yeah. Thurman. The reason I bring that up is because um, the inspiration for his dance moves is 60s Batman, with um, Adam West. And the inspiration for Uma Thurman's dance is the Aristocats, which came out, I think, two or three decades before this film did. Right. Um, so that was quite interesting. And I know the actual scene themselves, literally the shot of them two dancing, is also from another film. Um, I know, but I, I'm, I'm kind of having a blank on it. But, I mean, another example of that as well, obviously you have the briefcase, famous briefcase, the lights, we know what's in it. Mm-hmm. Even just the way that shot, very reminiscent of Kiss Me Deadly, uh, with the Gabrielle character. And I haven't seen the film, I just know the character's name's Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really want to point out as well is the fact that even though this film is, you know, quote, stealing so much and putting it together, and that's postmodernism at its core, really, is mm-hmm. kind of making something new out of these elements. Um, I'm pretty sure the shot of um, uh, Marcellus Wallace with the donuts looking at Bruce Willis in the car, that's ripped straight from um, uh, Psycho, I think. Right. I think it's Psycho. I'm thinking over the car. I think, I think it comes but... back to the, the argument with him is, is what he doing the ultimate... Uh, showcase of a film student showcasing their knowledge for film because obviously he wouldn't be uh, homaging or let's say quote unquote stealing mm. uh, shots and scenes and sequences and actions and characters and, and everything without watching these films yeah. and enjoying these films enough to then incorporate them into his own film. Yeah. And I mean, that's the argument. That would be the counterpoint to people being like, well, he just steals stuff. And it's like, yeah, but. He's actually watched all of these. He wouldn't mm. be putting them in there if he didn't watch them. And that's something that a lot a lot of other people just can't say. Like, you It's know, a sign of respect to well, those other filmmakers. It's almost like he's acknowledging the fact that it's... Not every film has to, like, necessarily reinvent the wheel, as mm. per se. Not everything has to be 100% unique. I mean, every time you homage something, you're no longer 100% original. And yeah. if you were 100% original your final result would probably be a piece of shit. I mean, I think originality is overrated in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it kind of goes to what you're saying. Like, yeah. you spend so much time trying to be original, you might lose the point and you might end up making something yeah. that's not great. I mean, I would... I mean, overrated, I probably don't agree with that. I think it's it's great when it's there. Yep. It's just far harder to attain than people like to think it is. Every... I think one of the biggest mistakes that younger and uh, filmmakers, which Tarantino at this point was quite a young filmmaker, mm. this is only technically his second film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, is he in his twenties at this point? Oh, I wouldn't be able to tell. Oh, yeah, you. I mean, um, but he wasn't old though. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is a guy who had no uh, quote-unquote film school yeah. education, which is another big talking point as to why this director is so interesting to talk about because. Mm. He is one who openly admits film school is a waste of time, which is where more infamy comes because then there are traditionalists who feel like you need to go to school to learn this stuff. Yeah. But two of the biggest directors around this time were James Cameron and Quentin Tarantino, and both of them didn't go to film school. So that raises more questions. I mean, it's put your money where your mouth is, I suppose. It's like, well, someone has an opinion 
let's see what they've done. You know, in this case, he's he's done pretty damn well for himself. Yeah, and then even then, at this point, David Fincher had done Alien 3, and mm-hmm. he had been working in music videos for a long period of time. Yeah. But most of his education came from just on, on the job, learning as you go. Yeah. So... Uh, my hands are in my air. I'm like, <laughs> well, you've just named three that are like off the, in in literally just this five year period yeah. between all these films. So, um, I just think it's interesting because it's like he really re- doesn't have a very high opinion of them, and then you go, yeah, put your money where your mouth is, and then you get a film like this where yeah. it's like, and in, and in turn as well to this whole like stealing thing is mm-hmm. like I think I think this is a, such a perfect embodiment this film of that because. Look how many films have taken from Pulp Fiction now. Yeah, exactly. Just watching it the first time, I was like, oh, there's... This is literally 22 short films about Springfield. And that's literally the Simpsons episode. And I only just realized watching Pulp Fiction, that entire episode is a parody of Pulp Fiction, as well as some of the more specific scenes, like the McDonald's conversation, mm-hmm. totally in the Simpsons there. Um, even Breaking Bad, when Jesse's... In the Fly episode, when Jesse's like going through these options of how to break back into the lab, it's like, that's totally Bruce Willis looking for yeah. the weapons in the store, like just all that kind of stuff. And it's just such a, a circular thing. And I kind of love that because it's just, it's preach what you sow. It's and a post-modernist it. film with a post-modernist fallout. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what else is uh, we could technically say? I don't know if you did this intentionally or not, mm-hmm. but your film Cradle, well, I guess our film, but you wrote it with uh, Haley opening up the, the ripped up family photo and the mm-hmm. light shining in her face. Very reminiscent of that briefcase shot. It's um was yeah, that intentional uh, or not, Zeke? <laughs> no, I definitely think it was. I remember doing early concepts and definitely putting mm. that in there. I would probably say that if there was a film to tie that particular thing, yeah. Um, I've talked about with Cradle being based off uh that scene in my head. Um, I actually did watch, which is weird. I didn't even probably correlate it, but I was I did watch Pulp Fiction around that time when ah, I wrote that film. There you go. So it probably was. Uh, on a Freudian or a subliminal level, um, <laughs> me actually homaging the homager. Um, but uh, yeah, no, uh, I would say it correlates. The only other thing with Cradle was it was based off a song, which. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, I mean. That moment. That's a great point right there. Music is also a huge part yeah. in Tarantino's kind of legacy. I mean, this film's got great music. I mean, we keep making jokes about um, kind of the head of song in this being. The Black Eyed Peas song, which they kind yes. of covered. But that in itself is almost postmodernism because the Black Eyed Peas are using this song. I've got the title here of the main, you know, I mean, you would have heard it in the little trailer pause we mm-hmm. had in this episode. Uh, Mizolu, I believe that's what it's yeah. called. And, but, um, and Black Eyed Peas go on to make Pump It with it. Yeah, which is this very, very similar. In brackets, I mean, louder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, louder. No, it's it's a good song. And that's what I was thinking as well. I was like, this is. So I looked into it, and you're right, it's just a lot of. Just postmodernism everywhere, Zeke. But no, I'm glad you brought up music because um, I feel like that's a huge part. Of oh, it's huge! Well. This film, this film has a uh, like a pretty nice soundtrack. I mean, I've always associated my favorite Tarantino music scene still with Reservoir Dogs, and that's okay. the one that always gets played the most. Oh, for like the a... opening when they're walking out. That no, the stuck in the middle with you scene. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the uh, yeah the with Michael Madsen. Uh, <sighs> That scene's messed up. That scene's perfect. That scene know. is. But the, like, the ear, man. Oh god, it's so good. And that's all. Like, he was told to do that, 
Uh, no, no. The, what was I his think hot the whole thing was. I think the whole thing was improvised because it came on the radio as they were. Oh wow! Okay. Um, don't quote me on that, but I know the ear, like his acting in that scene, is improvised no okay. matter what. So whether the song was intentional, but the acting was improvised. Yeah. So him when he's like singing into the cutoff ear. Oh. That's all him just improvising with the song. That's fantastic. I really hope that's true. Yeah. That's so cool. But it's it's. I mean, if we were ever to break into highlight scenes of Tarantino films, that would definitely be up there. But yeah, I mean, my my, I'm on the opinion that we're definitely going to do Reservoir Dogs down the line mm-hmm. anyway, because I think, I mean, you love the film so much. Yeah, I think it's really, really great. Yeah, I think it's honestly, it's sad because I did rank my Tarantino films. Okay, and we can get into that in a bit if you want. Yep. Uh, but it ended up pretty low on the list, Reservoir Dogs, um, just because everything else is so good around it, you know. <laughs> I, it was such a hard list to rank. You know, it's not like it's not like the MCU films where it's like more than half of them are so easy to put at the end and yeah. be like, "Yep, this sucks." But like, it's so hard before these films. Like, well, we can oh. break into that now if you'd like. Um, we could do a quick little ranking because we've all, we've seen the same five films. Yep. So we we could do that now. Um, there's a couple of other things I want to get into as well, but we'll do the ranking. Okay. Now we'll kind of have a little little pause, a little break. Yeah. I think. Um. All right. Well. Do you want me to go first? Because I actually have these written down. Yeah, you down. go number five and I'll go number um, five. I'm already. actually going to interchange five and four because I've been thinking about this a okay. bit. Um, I would say I'll put number five and I think Jesse's going to shoot me in the ear for this one, but or I guess cut my ear off if you want to go on to that. I had to put Inglorious Bastards at the bottom. Okay. And I love Inglorious Bastards. I think what they do with the, I mean, obviously the soundtrack's great. Um, I just kind of love the the flow of it and that opening scene's amazing. Um, and I appreciate the fact that most of the film's not even in English. I just kind of love that. It's a little ballsy mm-hmm. in Tarantino's part, but um, I don't know. It just didn't impact as much as these next few films do, and I would put Reservoir Dogs at four um, just because it, it, I do remember more of those scenes from Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. I think the second half of Reservoir Dogs is a little blurry in my head. I've only seen it once, but there are some scenes, and you're right, that you know, Stuck in the Middle of You is just fantastic. So good. And, uh, and, of course, the opening, I honestly think, is better than the Pulp Fiction opening. Um, and then I would put Hateful Eight at third. And I really appreciate that film because you're right, in the same sense that, you know, it's stuck in one room for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's just, for Tarantino, it's a much more um, kind of grounded film. Like, in terms of his over-the-top style, I mean, his violence comes at the end. Yeah. That was one thing. I was like, where's the... Vi-? Oh, there it is. <laughs> but um, it just felt more... You're right, with the camera work, with the performances and the dialogue, it just felt like he tried to be a little different, a little more grounded with that mm-hmm. one. I really just appreciated all of that. And then number two was Django, which is the... I watched that a few years ago. That was my earliest Tarantino film, and I just... I love everything about Django. I love the style. Christoph Waltz is brilliant in it. Um, Just, oh, God. It's hilarious. It's mm-hmm. so funny, but it also... When it needs to hit you hard, it does. And then I'll put Pulp Fiction at one. I mean, this film's brilliant. So, how would your list look, Zeke? Oh, okay. So, (laughs) wow. Uh, It's different to yours. Uh, Which is a good thing. That's a uh, good thing. Number five out of the five I've seen. Yep. um, Django Unchained. I do not really like Django Unchained that much. Um, I think the last... Much like four and five, both have this very similar problems. The last act, quote unquote, ruins the film for me. Um, okay. Up until Leo and Christoph Waltz die, yep, is great. Alert. <laughs> uh, that's great. Another improv scene right there um, with his hand, cutting yeah. his hand. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this film is still like for me like seven and a half out of ten easy. Like okay, it's, yeah. it's maybe a seven. 
Um, <laughs> this is 7.755. <laughs> um, but, and that scene's great, but at the same time, it's, you know... It it doesn't carry the rest of the film. Yeah. yeah it, the last 40 minutes with like him going back and killing the family and Sam Jackson, who's such a B-villain... In this film, oh, you I kid- think. I love Sam no. Jackson's this film. He's so good. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, man. I couldn't give it to you. You're crazy. Um, number four being Glorious Bastards. Yeah, fair enough. Very similar thing. Uh, scenes in this film are some of my favourite scenes in all of his films, mm. but the lows are very low for me. They're just like, okay. I do not care for the ending. Um, you know, like Hitler and his face shut off? Oh, it's just so stupid. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's not even funny to me. I don't know. It just... And so many people, like, so many people, that ending feels like it goes forever because they have to, like, they have to kill off so many characters in different ways and, like, you think... Uh, I I didn't mind the pacing of it. I liked it. I actually think the pacing's a bit off. Um, Okay. I think, like, for example, the uh, the uh, French chick and... The, the, the oh, sniper the, dude. Yeah. They, yep. like, they had that bit. Christoph Horst goes and strangles the other chick. Uh, then they go oh, yeah, take yeah. care of Brad Pitt and the other dude. And then they go sit down and chill. And then uh, the other two guys who are terrible oh, yeah, Italians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. It just felt a bit. Yeah. This wasn't to my taste. The other, there are parts That's in that movie, though, like the yeah. Fassbender sequence, yep. which is. I wish that was just a short film in its own right. I think Tarantino, he doesn't write films, he writes scenes. And he yeah. writes excellent scenes. Yes. So I'll give you that. Um, number three would be Pulp Fiction. Um, okay. It's, it's I'll take it. It's <laughs> a jump from Inglorious Bastards, but uh, it's... there. Are, I don't know, this film This film to me just hasn't hit the same th- key as some of the other films that I'm going to talk about. I, I think... Number two for me would be Hateful Eight, and then number one would be Reservoir Dogs. And the reason mm-hmm. I like those two films more yep. by quite a bit is it comes back to that keeping it in one scene formula, which, like you said, it almost feels like... Reservoir Dogs feels like one big scene. Hateful mm-hmm. Eight feels like one big scene. Yeah. And they feel like incredibly engaging stage plays to an extent, um, which I kind of like mm. in their style. And Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and Django all have sequences of brilliance. But I've, I don't know. For me, the interwoven story stuff or the, the story that's embedded in them is just not as strong. Pulp Fiction is definitely a leap from four and five. Like, okay. it definitely goes like in those sort of like. I enjoy Pulp Fiction a lot more than I enjoy Inglorious Bastards and Django. Django just never clicked with me. I just never did. That's I, fair. That was. I remember when I was. I was. Oh. 18 when I first saw that. I was at a friend's house and um, she just put it on TV. It was like, yeah, we'll have something mm-hmm. on. And I was just, from the get-go, I was so engrossed because I'd never seen Tarantino's style before okay. and it just stuck out to me. Maybe that's why I love Django so much because it was my first. You know, well, how, you know what they say about first, Zeke? Well, that's fair. But, um, yeah. Well, we can get back into talking about Fault Fiction, which yeah, is wife. your first <laughs> in your list. <laughs> yeah, no, it was very true. Um, yeah, no, I think we covered a lot in that. I think... The thing we haven't really talked a lot about is uh, plot and characters. Yeah. Who was your favourite character, Zeke? It's got to be Sam Jackson, right? Oh, he's brilliant. It's, a, it's impossible not to. He has the most quotable lines. Yep. He's large. I honestly really like Tim Roth, and I wish Tim Roth was in this film a bit more, I think. He's also great. I he, love he him, He commands... Too. I think that's why I like Hate for Eight 2 more, because it's just got Tim Roth being, like, just this... So him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a film that, that like, we don't talk about... Um, which I have talked about on this show, 
um, Four Rooms, which does have a Tarantino. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, we're going to sure. do that one day. I surely. think that's definitely one we need to touch on on the show um, and bring hopefully James Norton on the show for his first ever actual appearance. Um, <laughs> no more cameos from James Norton. No, um, but yeah, I, I think Sam Jackson definitely is is my favourite character in this film. I like Travolta. Like, honestly, I like their dynamic. I do. I, yeah, the dynamic, you're right. I think you're right with Travolta, though. Like, he's great in it. Mm. But I don't know, there's just something about his character. It's a bit weird. I mean, he's a weird person. I guess, but he, but... he doesn't... It, it doesn't draw me to the screen like often Tarantino characters do. Yeah, um, okay, that's a good point. He has He's this more immaculate way of making you interested in the character. Like, you can start on zero with a character, mm. but by the end of the scene, you're engaged in them. And I, I I always find myself with Pulp Fiction, for some reason, just switching off in that Travolta, Uma Thurman like, storyline. Really? It's never really intrigued me that oh much. Oh, my God. Uh, that's amazing to me. Yeah. More than the Butch stuff. Yeah, I kind of like the Butch stuff more. <laughs> I feel that's kind of a, especially when it's just Butch and his is it his girlfriend or I, I'm guessing yeah, girlfriend. some of that stuff switches like that would that be a close very second. Slow, yeah, um, that that sort of stuff doesn't. I don't engage. Honestly, hmm. the 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 spine of this film is Travolta and Sam Jackson, yeah. and whenever Sam Jackson's in there, I'm watching it 100. Yeah, percent And yeah, whenever yeah, Tim yeah. Roth's on the screen, I was watching it. Um, and then when it's those two together. I'm really watching it. The ending is <laughs> the ending's probably my favourite Tarantino ending. I reckon that is better than mm. probably the. I don't. I actually don't really care for the Reservoir Dogs ending compared to uh, uh, some oh, of the other. You're gonna have to refresh me with the Reservoir Dogs one. Yeah. Well, Tim um, Roth is bleeding out, and uh, he admits to I Mr. White that he's an undercover cop. Yep, yep, yep. And just as he admits it, he like the the cops are there, and they. Shoot him. That's oh, it. that's right. Oh, yeah. Because he's yeah, about to die. I love just... the shootout. That took me a sec. I do remember that. Yeah. All the Mexican standoff, which, again, totally just stolen from other films. But exactly. I love it. But um, the ending for that is a little bit weaker compared to this film. This film has a really strong ending. And Hate mm. Wade has a really strong ending, too. Oh, yeah. That um, ballsy ending as well. It is a very ballsy love ending. Love it. Um, and I know that film copped a lot of f- flack for its sort of uh, treatment of women in that, in yeah. that film. Because but... equality... Is only equality but I, when it's not actually well, equality. The, the counter I'd make with Hateful Eight is definitely uh, it's called the Hateful Eight. She's Every, the most evil person there. Yeah, it's it's called the Hateful so, Eight. Yeah. You're not supposed to like any of the characters. They yeah. all are hateful. Yeah, you hate them. You they're they're not they're they they're either subtly likable or on the surface horrible. Yeah, from get to go, from post to post, and yet she's the one that's probably the smartest out of all of them too. So I I mean she kind of out tricks Everyone. the majority of them yeah. yeah and almost gets away with it mm. um and that's sort of the thing it's like the deviant I, that would be my defense of that film we're not defending that film but um yeah this film has the best ending i think so uh, it has Fair. the most tense ending has some of the best performances out of any tarantino film Absolutely, between yeah. sam jackson and roth and uh we still don't know what's in that briefcase yeah, I mean, I was I always found that interesting as well because it's like I never really cared what's in it. I know it's kind of like not really the was like, a MacGuffin. The, it's a MacGuffin. You're right, and it's just like okay, it's literally you're right, just driving mm. a plot forward. It's a definition of a, a steal or a homage is oh, literally having go. a literal MacGuffin. What well, do you want to guess? What's in there? No, 
I don't either, to be honest. I'm not really. I've really... never been compelled to guess. Yeah, I would right? hope it was just a torch. It's like a They make a joke about in community, torch. actually. Oh, really? Yeah. That's great. Because um, they do a pop fiction party. Oh, postmodernism. Yeah. They do. <laughs> Intertextuality. And Arbed opens the legitimate case. Um, and it's just a light bulb. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. That actually makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, but the joke was that they like set it on fire. Yeah. By accident, like before, like because Arvid's going to the surprise party and uh, the case gets uh, set on fire. That's amazing. Yeah. No, you're right. I've never been compelled. No. By that's that's fascinating. Um, I'm shocked you just you don't get into the the dinner conversation. I th- that's I mean that's the one. I think that's the one thing that's kind of cool about that storyline, but what comes after with the her dying and the, I don't know, it just never is interesting. Wow. Never interests me. That's tough. I almost had a, I'll, I'll get into that in a bit later, highlight scenes, but like I almost had a heart attack in the theatre watching that scene. Wow. Well, I mean, it's like, the, that, that goes to show everyone has a different, uh, a different, different perspective on this, this film. Well, I mean, that's the thing. This is, uh, we talk about scenes. This film is literally just a bunch of short films tied together absolutely you know because it is um i actually was i was checking the time codes when i was rewatching it the other day mm-hmm. um i think it's like exactly an hour in when we swap from um the mir and vincent storyline to butch as a kid and christopher walken has a great mm-hmm. cameo as well which talks about being the watch being in the ass and stuff yes. like oh so good um but yeah i always found the butch stuff a little less compelling that's fair his uh, performance is great though oh he's great course. in it they're all great in it yeah and um, I've never seen I've never seen Travolta so good in anything. No, I, I but, literally um, was thinking about that too. Maybe I really enjoy him uh, in Face Off. Not gonna lie, um, which is the one with Nick Cage. Ah, uh, okay. Face Off. Was he the one? Uh, he was in um a Blowout. Was that him? Yep. Yeah. I think that was actually an inspiration with this film too. In some way, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just him I've performing. Never maybe that's blow out the whole way through because I left oh, really? that time we watched oh, it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, we watched screen. it in a lecture one year. Yeah, we Jack. I think Jack and I walked out like. Wow, did you just not like it? I think we were just hungry. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> and a lot of those screenings, some of them I just never watched. Ah, uh, that's fair. The endings actually, I really like the ending. I know what the ending is. Someone oh, okay. told me about it, but uh, I will probably give it a watch some someday. Oh man, I'm just thinking about the ending now. It's a little haunting, actually. Oh. Good film. I actually really like Blowout, oh, and no this feels like one of those things I've never heard of before, and it just kind of came out. Are nowhere. you uh, ready to move into highlight scenes? Jake? Sure. Um, well, I got two highlight scenes. Okay. Um, one of them is, uh, the, I guess, the aftermath of that dinner scene. Just that whole sequence of Mia getting stabbed back to life, and that was one of my biggest shocks because obviously I've seen all the promotional stuff for this film and everything, mm-hmm. and a lot of the Mia imagery kind of shadows Jane dining Breaking Bad's imagery. Mm-hmm. So I always just assumed that Mia dies in this movie. And that was the biggest shock for me, so okay. she doesn't. Um, but that scene of her getting stabbed in the heart, like I'm, I'm telling you, like, I was in, I was in a theater, like, oh my god, you got this and shot of adrenaline. I really did, man. <laughs> it was just, and I just love the the anatomy of that, of like breaking through the breastplate, and then obviously you see like the blood in like the little hole. It's and then all the background people, because this is people in that house watching who haven't even spoken yet, yeah. and I'm and they all just kind of gather around. I was like, I, don't, I just, this scene is amazing. Okay, and it was really tense. And uh, the other one I had, I want to quote it. We talk about quotable lines. I can't, because then I'll be a racist. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's Tarantino right there. <laughs> he gets an N-word part by literally anyone, especially Sam Jackson. Um, but it's his cameo in the film when he's the coffee guy. Yes. Or Sam Jackson's talking about the coffee. And he's talking about uh, the dead N-word storage 
and that, that that little back and forth is just uh, it's very it's oh, very it's funny so one. funny man I would say my highlight scene has to be and it's gonna be an obvious one but I have to say it I mean you either have the Sam know. Jackson <laughs> monologue at the end yep. which is great but honestly I gotta give it to his first monologue through when he was at the with Travolta oh, with in the, the house ham, the, the cheeseburger and, stuff. and I think I have said this is a tasty burger probably the most <laughs> out of any line in any film this is tasty burger I just every time I have a burger I feel compelled to say that line <laughs> I'm not even lying like Jack can back me up yeah. I've been to a lot of yeah. burger places with Jack every time I have one I take a bite and I really like it I literally just say it this is tasty <laughs> it's so good and it's it's funny to think about because it's like yeah. to have a line so synonymous with my own vocabulary <laughs> I gotta give no, Tarantino no that tell. Yeah, I'll no. meet him one day hopefully get to shake his hand and be like this is good. a tasty burger <laughs> and you'd be like what are you talking about shut up <laughs> never heard that one before yeah. <laughs> so no, I'll give you that that's great I that's that actually does sound like a you quote yeah and you're saying it like I want a burger like, now. Do. I know he makes it sound great. Like when he's talking about, like, can I can I have a, sh- a taste of what, what is it like? Your drink to wash wash it wash down, down my mouth. It's like it's oh, one of my it's just even the argue uh, the argument he has with Travolta on the way to killing someone about uh, a oh, royale yeah. with cheese. Yeah. Royale with cheese. That's that's also very synonymous. That yeah, that and it's, stuff. But it's true. It's yeah. um so. Well, Brilliant. it all goes back to humanizing these criminals because they're all criminals. Exactly. And it goes to making them seem relatable. They're arguing about Maccas in different countries and stuff. Oh, it's great. I love that. Cool. Well, well, Pulp Fiction is definitely out in wide release. <laughs> is it on Netflix? I think it is on Netflix. Um, I think it's on Stan. Okay. I think, I think the uh, in, uh, Reservoir Dogs and Inglorious Bastards is on Netflix. Okay. And I think Pulp Fiction is on Stan. But, of course, you can get it on DVD, Blu-ray, um, and I saw a screening of it at Inaloo for those who didn't hear from previous episodes. Um, so you can go, if they have another classic run, you can go sit there. That, uh, I can't believe that experience I had in there. If they did a Reservoir Dogs one, we should go to that. Oh, absolutely. And we should dress in suits. Oh, that's yeah. a great idea. Exactly. We will do Reservoir Dogs at some point. Yes. But, um, which, uh, but honestly, this film's obviously, no doubt, pretty amazing. It has a pretty amazing story. And Tarantino deserves director's corner. Um. So definitely, that Has was our director's he, I don't corner. I think he's ever won best director before. Yep. he's definitely you been never nominated. Never. We'll find out. With, uh, well, he's, he's doing a very Hollywood-based film now, so usually those kind of uh, climb its way to the top of the Oscars. But wait, Jake, what's coming out this week in cinemas? Oh, I don't know what's coming out in cinemas this week. Just some, you know, you got a Dog's Journey. Bettler House. Just these movies are just. Mm. I I don't know who directs them, but I just. I, Oh, there there is actually one more. There is actually one more coming out next week. It's some, uh, what's Are we it called? watching that next week on the show? We might as well, because I don't know what else is in. Uh, let's see. This film... Oh, my God. Uh, there it is. Uh, it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 Los Angeles where everything is changing as TV star Rick Dalton and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth 
make their way around an industry they hardly recognise anymore. Hmm. This is the night film from writer-director. Features a large ensemble cast, multiple storylines, and a tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age. Oh, wait, no, Zeke, this is also a Tarantino film. What? That's it's crazy. That's a coincidence. A, I know, I was going to say it's a bit of a coincidence. I was going to do Dog's Journey, but... but uh. Is that the sequel to A Dog's Purpose? I don't know. Is it also a prequel to A Dog's... I don't know. Apparently the dog just keeps dying and coming back, which I feel like <laughs> that's like a cheat formula to make people cry. Didn't we find out they're doing the third red dog soon? We did. Spoiler, there Appar- might be a Apparently third... we know the guy's directing or know someone who's... Di- I don't know. Someone says someone in class and I don't even care anymore. Yeah. Red Dog 3. <laughs> I didn't even realise it was Red Dog 2. There is a Red Dog 2. True Blue. True Blue. Yeah, he's blue in that one. No worries. Well, thank you for joining us on the <laughs> Cinema Sideshow <laughs> podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.